Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Church. We're glad that you are here. I do want to thank Isaac this week for leading worship. Uh, Donna and Christine are celebrating their anniversary, and so it was just nice that uh, they could get away and, and celebrate, and and uh, we're just grateful for Isaac and his being willing to be here to, to lead in this capacity, so we are grateful for him. Uh, today we find ourselves in First Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 9 through 12. When we read, I'm going to start in verse 5 just to kind of give the uh, the broader picture of where we find ourselves. And as you're turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I do have a couple of announcements to share with you all. Um, so Saturday, September 26, Franklin Graham is doing a, uh, a prayer walk in D.C. And so um, I don't know of anybody that's actually flying out there from our church, but what we're going to do is the Ramellis asked if we could, um, I don't know if it's Ramelli, it came through Henry, but I think a couple people said, well, can we meet at the church and, and do something? So uh, we're going to meet Saturday, September 26 at 9 a.m., and we they have provided the Pray for America. They've provided uh, sort of like a map of the various stops uh, through uh, Washington, D.C. on the mall, and so we're going to kind of follow the prayer outline uh, using that they gave us just to pray for our nation on September 26th. Um, also, in a few weeks, on October 4th, the first Sunday of October, our plan is to move the the service live that's in person uh, to move it from meeting at 8 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. Uh, hopefully, prayerfully, uh, the weather will cooperate. Um, where I'm hoping that just kind of based on sort of the the normal events, that by October the weather should be cooling down. And so we can meet a little bit later at 9.30. And so we'll still gather outside. Uh, For those of you who are sort of figuring out what you're going to do, some people kind of come live and stay home sometimes. Uh, As we meet out on the patio, I look out so I can see the playground and the big patio area. And then I look towards the sanctuary where we keep the side door open right here to my right. And um, so we keep the sanctuary with the air conditioning on, and we have speakers in the sanctuary that do pipe in the sound. So you can kind of see out on the patio, and you can hear in the sanctuary. And so it just kind of provides some overflow. We do have a handful of people who are on medication that they can't be in the sun. And so it provides an opportunity for them to have shield from the sun and to, to, to be present and to hear the message uh, live. And so uh, if you'd like to do that, please do that. We have uh, Sunday school classes sort of forming. We have the first is uh, John Johnson is uh, looking, collecting interest on on a study on Revelation on Sunday, a Sunday school class. A date hasn't been set, and it'll be either before or after the service. That hasn't been determined either. Uh, Scott Tolstad is also asking for those that were involved in his uh, Christian and suffering. He's trying to see interest in if people want to resume that study or not. And so there's weekly Bible studies and that sort of thing. So uh, just uh, let us know. Uh, reach out to Melanie if you have any question about any of the, any of those things that are happening. Uh, with that, let's pray, and we'll look at First Thessalonians. Uh, let's we'll read from verse five to verse twelve, just to sort of get the context of last week and this week, since we were so abbreviated last week because of the weather. Uh, let's pray, Father. We do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for. 
uh, this time that we live in. It's no accident that we find ourselves in the midst of these times uh, where we are in our lives. And so, Father, we know that you're sovereign and that you're in control. And Lord, there is so much uh, just around us to have anxiety over and concerns and fears. And it's so easy to allow ourselves to um, just to kind of take our eyes off of you. And so, Father, I pray this morning that as we open up your word, that your spirit would lead us, that he would guide us. Father, that you would speak right to our hearts, Lord. Help us as your believers to keep our eyes on you. And Lord, may we uh, just cast our fears to you. Father, we know that our days are numbered by you, and the coronavirus doesn't supersede that. And so, Father, we pray just that you would, you would help us. Father, we do pray especially for our nation as we're heading into an election our, and just the ver- variety of events that are going on. Our nation has uh, just been divided for a while, and it seems so divided, and, and just there's so much unrest. And so, Father, we know that the only answer to true peace is through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray for our nation. We ask that there would be a revival amongst your people. Lord, may the gospel go forth and just the hearts and minds of individuals in our nation be transformed through the gospel. Father, we pray that you would take this time that we are consecrating to you right now for the studying of your word, that you would help us. Lord, lead us, guide us. May your word um, move from the text here into our hearts uh, by your spirit. Father, we are grateful, and we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. All right, so here we are. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's start in verse 5. I've gone back to the New American Standard. Um, I had a few weeks in the NIV just to kind of settle my soul over some, just, just some, some issues, and I, I just kind of wanted to get back, go back to a different translation, uh, one that I came to Christ in, and just from a different flavor. Uh, but I, I seem to always come back in preaching to the, the New American Standard. Um, and so it's, it's, it's where we are today. And for the grammar of the New American Standard, I've opted to just start in verse 5. So in verse 5, we read, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is witness, nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved towards you believers, just as you now, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Father, we do thank you again for this word. We ask that you would encourage us through it. 
And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Okay, so Thessalonians, two words sort of governing this, this letter. Affliction that they faced as believers, new believers in Christ. Uh, Paul uh, deals with the affliction that they were facing predominantly through pointing them to, to Christ and his return. And so we have affliction and we have advent, which means the return of Christ. Uh, the, the, the verses that we covered last week, verses like 6b through 8, uh, this was dealing with um, Paul's character and, and how he treated them. And he sort of, he pointed to the picture of a mother and how he treated them, uh, a mother to her young children, how Paul treated these young believers. His reputation is under attack. He'd only spent three or four weeks there. He was run out of town. And as he was run out of town, those that were attacking him, they were making accusations against his character and his motivations. And so Paul says, you know, we are apostles and we had authority to be a burden to you, but we weren't. We were gentle towards you like a, like a nursing mother and how she would treat her young tender, her, 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 her children tenderly and with love and compassion. And, and that's how he and the, the apostolic team treated um, these new believers. He shares with them that he developed a deep love for them over the course of six months or a year, however long it, it, it was at his time of writing. But he loved them and cared for them deeply. And this drove him to share the gospel with them and also to share his life with them. Um, their relationship with Paul was not skin deep. It wasn't superficial. It was meaningful, deep. Um, and, and there was a depth. And I do think that that's an example for us as Christians today. As so often, especially in, in this uh, day and age, where the coronavirus is going out and... Sermons are being broadcast through social media, through, uh, through TV, th- through the radio. Um, it, it's, a, it's a blessing. The gospel is going forth. But also, I do think it's creating sort of um, an unhealthy dynamic because God didn't intend for us to, to worship in this way. He, he didn't intend for us to uh, pre-record a sermon in isolation or even a live stream so that you could sit at your home in front of your TV or in front of the computer to, to watch it in isolation. That's not God's plan. These are, these are very different times the last six months. So I think we're about six months going into seven months of this. Uh, being in isolation spiritually uh, is, is not good for an individual. We're, we're, we're called and created to, to be in community, to share life with one another. We are, are, are human beings that are social, and we need one another in the body of Christ. And we see this example in their lives. And so from that, he continues in verse 9 with this word for that's translated in the English. It's a, it's a connecting thought. And he says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship 
how working night and day so as to not be a burden to any of you, we proclaim the gospel, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And so this four, it links back to the previous verse, which says, having so fond of an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives because you'd become very dear to us. And so from this sharing of the gospel, from him sharing his lives and imparting his lives to them, from that thought, he says, for you recall the brethren. He said, all of these accusations that are going back, you can recall, you can remember, you're my witnesses. And throughout today's passage, he's going to allude to this, not to allude, but to directly say, you were there, you saw firsthand, you saw my life before you, when I pass through town, he says, our labor and our hardship, that they worked night and day so that they wouldn't be a burden to them. Okay, so now Paul is a missionary. He's gone out to this town where he doesn't know anybody. He walks into a synagogue in Thessalonica. He meets some individuals. He begins to share about Jesus and what he has done on the cross for them. Uh, this wonderful gift at the good news that he proclaims to them, and people respond. And while he's there, he's supported by other individuals from the church in Antioch when he first went out, uh, which is in sort of northern Israel, which was sort of the headquarters of the church, of the early church. And then as he went about, we know that in, in Philippi, when that church was planted, that they were a very generous church. They gave gifts to Paul to support him. We know from Paul's life in this case and in Acts that, you know, this whole phrase that we use in Christianity, a tent, a tent maker missionary. And so a tent maker missionary means that the individual works so that they can uh, fund themselves. Now, uh, some countries today are closed, meaning that they are not open to religious visas. They're not open to individuals uh, going there. And so there are many Christians who... Uh, develop a skill, develop a trade, develop something that then opens the door to countries that they will allow them to enter into their countries. And as they enter into their countries, they work a craft and they do this job for the sake of sharing the gospel. We support missionaries at our church. It's one of the things that is uh, within our DNA. We, we support missionaries financially. We are connected to them relationally. Um, many of our missionaries I communicate with on a, on a real, like a regular basis, checking in with them. And so for those that we support financially, we and others support them so that when they are out sharing the gospel, there's no need for them to, to have to raise money there. They're there uh, without any sort of ulterior motives other than to, um, to share the gospel and to make disciples. And so Paul here says, when I was with you, I, I was working night and day. I wasn't asking you for money. These claims that they are saying that I had false motives aren't true. Other places in Corinthians and throughout the Bible, uh, there's support like, that for the church to support a pastor. And so this, this isn't what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying that that's bad. He's saying in this case, when he was out as a missionary, when he was amongst them, he didn't receive support from them. His money came from outside sources. And so his motivations 
are pure. And they knew this. They remembered. He never asked them for money. He didn't manipulate them for anything. He was just there sharing the gospel, which he says that we proclaim to you the gospel of God. I, I, I have really appreciated in Thessalonians how much this phrase has come up, the gospel of God. I don't think I realized how much it surfaced in this, this, this little letter. Um, I started out Thessalonians saying how little I knew about this book. I mean, I've read through it, but I've never taught through it. It's not like one of the, the staple epistles that I'm very familiar with. But I, 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 week after week, this phrase, the gospel of God, comes up in one, one way or, or the other, and I f- sort of feel like a broken record. But the, the gospel that Jesus died on the cross, that he was our substitute, that as he was on the cross and as the wrath of God was placed upon him, it was intended for us. And he stood in our place as our substitute, and the wrath of God was poured out to him, onto him for the sin of the world, and that he was killed, and that he was buried, and then he rose on the third day, and that we're told that as we are confronted with that information, that we have an opportunity to receive it, to trust that Jesus did that on our behalf for our sins, and that when we believe upon him, that we have eternal life, that, that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, that we're given eternal life immediately, uh, a life and hope with God in the future. It's beautiful. It's, it is the jugular vein of Christianity. There is no Christianity without the cross. There is no Christianity without the wrath of God uh, being poured out on Christ for the sins of the world because God is holy and separate. Everything we do, it's all about Jesus. And so as we come to this passage and we look at Paul's life and how he lived exclusively for the gospel, and we too have received this good news, and we as a church stand on the gospel and proclaim the gospel that life eternal is found alone in Christ. If you want to have peace with God, it's through Jesus alone. There is no other way. Your works won't get you to heaven. Your good deeds won't get you to heaven. It's all about bowing at the name of Jesus and acknowledging what he has done for you. He goes on to say in verse 10, you are my witnesses. Again, you remember, you are my witnesses. The people that Paul was writing, he's writing to them. Uh, they, were, they were firsthand, I account witnesses. He says, you are my witnesses, the Thessalonians and so is God. Uh, Paul has been getting slandered over and over again by the other individuals who didn't believe in Thessalonica. And the believers who remained in Thessalonica, they're taking this, this, the flack about who Paul is and what Christianity is, and they're going after him or them. And Paul says, you're my witnesses. You know what you saw. God is also my witness about my behavior with you. You saw my life. You examined my life. When I was with you, I gave of myself, and you saw everything. I was an open book. He says that my behavior amongst you, he says how devoutly and upright and blamelessly we behave towards you as believers. And so he said, uh, Paul's behavior amongst them, he uses three words, devoutly. 
this is a word that could be, like some translations might say, holy, which holy carries this term of being separated for a specific purpose. Um, Paul was separated, devoted, consecrated to, jo- to God for a specific purpose. Purpose. On Thursday night, we had some friends over, and and it was a, it was a great time. And I, you know, when people come over, I tend to like the barbecue, but with the fire, you know, the the heat and the warning, like it's just like I was like, okay, we're not going to barbecue. What else can we do? And so then I talked to Anna, and I'm like, hey, can we make uh, can you make some paella and some fresh bread? And can we do like the uh, you know the just the treat our friends to some authentic Spanish food. We're not talking Mexican food. We're talking Spain Spanish food, which is very different than Mexican food, just to set the record straight. And so one of the things that Spaniards, part of their tapas is to have olives, you know, with pits in them. And so to have the green olives. And so I said, oh, let's pull out the special dish, the olive dish from Spain. And it's, you know, it's, it's a bowl. And then there's a small little bowl connected to the dish. And so when we were there, it's, uh, dinner hadn't quite started yet. I told our friends, I'm like, oh, you're, you're allowed at this point of the meal to, you can have some of the, you can have the, the meat, you can have the cheese, you can have the bread, you can have the olives. And he, they're like, oh, okay. And it's like, yeah. So the, when the paella comes, that's like the main dish. That's when we'll, we'll pray in the salad. But the, the tapas we're allowed to, to nibble on and we sort of dialogue. And so we've been talking and and I finally reach over and I, I grab an olive and I eat the olive and I take the, the pit. That's, so the, the big dish is where all the olives are. And then there's the little dish that like connected. It ties together. I should have brought it to show you, but I didn't want to break Anna's special Spanish dish. And, and so you just put the seeds in that little part of the bigger dish so that they don't get lost in your food or whatever. So you, have, you, know, you eat an olive, you've got to have somewhere to put the seeds. And I remember my friend was like, oh, that's what that's for. And it's like, yeah. And so that dish is holy. It's set apart for a specific purpose. The, the, the sole purpose of that dish is for presenting olives and for you to eat olives and to have a place for the, the spent seeds to go when you're done. It's a special dish set apart for a special task. And that's to be holy, to be set apart by God. And Paul says, my whole life has been set apart for his purpose. And it begs the question about our lives. Have our lives been consecrated to God for his use? You, the secular, if you're in the secular world, that you can, your vocation can be consecrated to God. Whatever you do, you're called to do for the glory of God. And Paul was doing what he was called to do for the glory of God. And so he says he was devout amongst them. He says uh, he, he was upright. He said devoutly and uprightly he behaved towards them. This word uprightly could be translated justly or rightly. Basically what it means is that he strived to do what was right before God. This is the verse we looked at at the very end. I think it was two weeks ago. Um, verse... Um, four, he says, uh, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing to men, but God who examines our hearts. 
We never came with flattering speech, as you know, with a pretext for greed. God is our witness, nor do we seek glory for men, either from you or from others. He said, our aim wasn't to be pleasing to you. Our aim was to be pleasing to God. And I knew, I know that one day I'm going to stand before God. And so the decisions and the things that I do in my life, I'm going to do them in a way that's honoring to God. I want to do the right thing before God, most of all. Then he says, blamelessly. And he says that our conduct before men was above reproach. And he says over and over again, you are my witnesses. You saw this. You know, recall, remember, we were blameless. We were above reproach. The things that they say simply aren't true. The people in Thessalonica, those who came to know Christ, they knew the missionary team. The attacks against them were simply foolish. In verse 11, Paul continues and he says, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. So again, he says, just as you know. You know our behavior. I sound like a broken record. They know, they knew, they saw, they were asked to remember and to examine Paul and the missionary team's lives before them. And he says, you guys know it. What we were doing to you all is we were exhorting you, we were encouraging you, we were imploring you. And he says, just as a father would his own children. So between this week and last week, this one passage, sort of Paul's, uh, the picture he uses to describe how he behaved to the, to these believers, the example he uses is like a mom and dad. He was loving and caring like a mother. He was like a father in how he encouraged them and motivated them and and sort of prodded them along to to go the distance, to excel, to, to, to live up to all that they have been called to. So he says, as a father with his own children, this word exhorting, you could translate it urging. I think of Romans 12.1 that says, brothers, I urge you by the mercies of God. Same word. They said this, this call to like pressing on. It also carries the idea of comfort or pleading, sort of like this coach just like pushing them along. Uh, the word encouraging, so exhorting and encouraging, these two words that you could translate them the same way, there's just nuances. So encouraging could be translated to comfort or to appease, like like there was great discouragement, the uh, the affliction and and persecution that they were facing. It would be easy to lose heart and to quit. I think about Hebrews. I want to write this down here in Hebrews. Uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. If you want to turn over there, um, this great chapter about falling away, you know, there's, there's a bunch of, uh, yeah. it's a difficult chapter. I'll, I'll, it's, it's one of these, the, the, I think Hebrews, well, Hebrews is a difficult book. But in this section, starting in verse 12, so Hebrews uh, chapter 3, Starting in verse 12, we read, Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another. So that word encourage, 
It's the same word, encourage one another. Day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast to the beginning of our assurance from, uh, excuse me, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end while it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. And so I'm, I'm trying to fight a sneeze right now. Um, that's what's going on. I'm like, I'm trying to read. I'm trying not to sneeze. And, and so like here, not Paul, this is the author of Hebrews. We don't, it's likely not Paul. We don't know who it is, but there's this like encouraging one another. And like the appeal of sin is so great and, and it's so tempting. And there's this warning of being led astray by sin. And then as you're led astray by sin and you give in to temptation, then your heart becomes hardened and you 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 it's harder and harder like a callus builds up in your heart and you're not able to hear the voice of God and he pleads with them today if you hear his voice soften your heart don't provoke him don't let your heart grow hard let your heart hear the voice of God and and respond and so back in Thessalonians, when he says that we were encouraging you, this is what he was doing. He was encouraging them to stay true to Christ, to follow the Messiah. Forget about the noise. Forget about the persecution. Forget about the fears. Stay focused on Christ. He was imploring them, charging them, testifying them as a father would his own children. A mom and dad don't want to hurt their children. They want the best for them. They give everything that they have for their children so that their children, really quite frankly, like for, for the vast majority of the people, what parents want for their children is that they would have a better life than they had, that they would have more opportunity. I think about my years before Christ and years that were wasted. I think, oh man, if I was raised in a Christian home and I gave my life early, and I, like, what could have been? Well, I want to live my life in a way that my children have the opportunity to know Christ from an early age and that they can go forward. I just think about Paul and urging these believers in that way. One commentator says this on these three words. These three words used together give a picture of the apostles, or the apostles using every means of persuasion at their disposal, but only positive persuasion, not punishment. Their posture was that of a father or mother trying to shepherd his or her children to keep them on the right path, always watching for the one who is about to stray, giving this one a nudge in the right direction, and then that one. So just I think of like a you know, like a, when you see ducks down by, the, by a lake and they have little baby ducks and you see the mom kind of keeping them all in line. This is the picture. And so in the face of adversity, discouragement amongst these Thessalonian believers was great. And Paul was encouraging them to keep their eyes on Jesus and not to lose heart, to press on. He goes on to say in verse 12, this, this really is, the, to me, is the crux of this section we see this so that, like the, the purpose, of, like wh- why is Paul saying all of this? 
going back two weeks from today, so this is the third week, three weeks ago, Paul, Paul talks about the integrity of his own heart. Then last week, we looked at how he nurtured them and cared for them as a mother cares for her children. Now he brings in uh, the, the fathering characteristics. So like within Paul, how he uh, nurtured and cared for these young believers as a mother and father would care and nurture for their children. He gets to the point in verse 12, what's it all about? Why is he doing this? What's his motivation? His motivation so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So it's beautiful. So, so that those that had responded to the gospel, those believers in Thessalonica that you in Valley Center or wherever you are, like people are watching from the East Coast and from, from just all over the place, where, wherever you find yourself as you're watching this and you're looking at this text, what God desires of us and why he's put uh, you know, uh, uh, pastors and teachers and, and given us the, the text, the reason he's given us these things is that he wants us to walk. This is our lives. This is how you live out your life in a manner worthy of the God, or so just worthy of God. Let's sort of pause there just to consider that like, uh, I think of that song, I should have written it down. You know, uh, it talks about, I forget the name of it, but it's like worthy, like that Jesus is, is worthy of all things. And our lives to live in a way um, that's worthy of him. And that seems like such the impossible task. Like quite frankly, like what can we give? What can we do? There isn't anything, like there really isn't anything. When I consider what Jesus did for me, the response of my life, it, it goes to that old hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And it's like, I fall short all the time. But we don't have a God that's there scolding us and beating us. We have a God who's like egging us on, encouraging us, you know, keep going, keep pressing on. Lean into me, keep your eyes on me. Live your life in a manner worthy of the God who does what? He calls us into his kingdom and glory. Of the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory, he says, come. All you who are thirsty, all of you who are weary, come. I think of Jesus who says, take Take, take my yoke upon you. That's his teaching. He says it's light. Like I've, I think of the ox that has the yoke, and he's like, you know what? When they were training the young ox, the, the big ox would take all the weight, and the little baby ox would be in there. And that's sort of the picture that Jesus has taken on the burden for you. Just walk with him. Allow him to transform you. This phrase, walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you, this comes up in a number of places in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, if you want to turn over there, Paul uses the same wording. In Ephesians 1, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. So, Urge, that first word, urge. Begging you, pleading you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So same idea that God has called you. And as you live your life, you're uh, to, to walk, to live out your life in a way that's worthy 
of the calling by which you have been called by worthy of God. Then in verse 2, he says, he explains it. He, he unpacks, what does this look like? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We could, we could spend a lot of time on this. This is the picture. What I see here is the fruit of the Spirit, that living our lives means that we yield our lives to Him. We allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. And as we yield our lives to Him, the fruit of the Spirit manifests itself in our life. And many of these things, humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance for one another, and love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Beautiful. In Philippians chapter 1, if you want to turn over to Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 28, we read there, only conduct yourselves. So conduct yourselves. Uh, This is the idea of walking in a manner of God, like walking, living your lifestyle. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. So here's that worthy of God. But here he says, worthy of the gospel of Christ. When I think about that one, what does that mean? Worthy of the gospel of Christ, well, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf. Jesus in Mark chapter, uh, was it 1045, says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So when I look at conducting myself in a manner worthy of the gospel, when I see the gospel, when I see what Jesus is on the cross, I see him caring about others more. I see him caring about himself less, him emptying himself for the sake of others. And so if I want to live my life worthy of the gospel of Christ, it's about service and serving others. So that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit striving with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you and that too from God. So he says, just stand firm. Regardless of the persecution, remember Philippians, this is the town right before he went to Thessalonica and as the persecution is coming out against them there, he says, no, stand firm. Don't worry about it, stand firm. Keep your eyes on Christ. Worry about unity within the body of Christ. So regardless of what's happening with the coronavirus, regardless of how people are responding, regardless of what the government and the politicians are doing, we need to keep our eyes on Christ. Yes, go vote and voice your opinion. Do your civic duties. Do this. But at the the core, at your heart, keep your eyes on Christ and stay grounded in him. As we wrap up today, I want to read this whole section or verses 9 through 12 out of the J.B. Phillips translation. I really like how it reads and kind of, you know, tying a bow on what we study today. He writes, You are witnesses, as God is himself, that our life among you believers was devoted, straightforward, and above criticism. You will remember how we dealt with each one of you personally, like a father with his own children, comforting and encouraging We told you from our own experiences or our own experience how to live lives worthy of the God 
who is calling you to share in the splendor of his own kingdom. Beautiful. That God is calling you, that he's calling me to, to participate, to share with in the splendor of his own kingdom. So often, this journey of participating in the splendor of God's kingdom, unfortunately, in this life, it brings with itself affliction and suffering for those who follow after Christ. It's just the reality. Oswald Chambers says this on our suffering. He says, if you are going to be used by God, that he will take you through a, multiple of exper- a multitude of experiences that are not meant for you at all. They are meant to make you useful in his hands. It's beautiful. Think about the hardships, the afflictions that have happened over the last six months. Around the world, there's been this refining process within the, the body of Christ worldwide. There's been this sort of reckoning and this winnowing of the church and sort of the having to grapple with are you really in or are you not? And I think about the whole coronavirus experience. And it's that, what does he say? That are not meant for you at all. They are meant to make you useful. So the affliction that we've been going through, it's not for us. It's, it's, it's a process, a refining process in our own lives to make us useful for him if you will allow him to use these times in that way. I want to end with a prayer of Paul's that there's a word in there or tied into this prayer is all of the things that we talked about. And so over in Colossians, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, it's, it's really his introduction. And he starts with this beautiful church for the Colossians. Uh, and, and it's a prayer that I pray for us. It's a great uh, portion of scripture to go to if you want to pray for somebody and you don't quite know how to pray for them. Go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, and you can pray this. You can change the words. Listen to what he writes. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that's the prayer. Paul's prayer is that those that he's being prayed for, so if I was praying this for you, what I'm praying for you is that you would have knowledge in your mind of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That as you go to the scriptures, as you hear sermons, as you as you participate in worship through listening to the sermon right now, that your mind would be focused upon Christ and that he would grant you special wisdom about spiritual things and his will. And that as you are able to gain this wisdom about spiritual matters, that this would be the response, verse 10, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? It's the very same phrasing of today's passage to please him in all respects, that as we live our lives, that we would be pleasing to God, that we would bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness 
and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. It's beautiful. When I look at this passage and I see what Paul is encouraging these Thessalonian believers who are enduring so much affliction, the message that he gives to them is that God loves you. God is with you, and God will get you through this. Don't grow weary. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and be encouraged. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the hope that you give us in Christ. And it's in his good name we pray. Amen. Go in peace. I hope you have a wonderful day. God bless you all.